0: publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of The Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU. And Indiana Indiana Governor Mike Pence is officially the running mate of presumed Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. Trump made the announcement this morning on Twitter and said the news conference is planned for 11 o'clock tomorrow. This is just one of the... Um, craziest weeks in Indiana politics I can ever remember in all my years in the business. So we're gonna talk about uh, Mike Pence, we're gonna talk about Evan Bayh, we'll talk about what's happening next, which we've got some up up to the date, up to the minute news on that. And you can all join our conversation here that we're gonna have with three different guests uh, here in a minute. So we have uh, Ted France with us. He's a professor of history at the University of Indianapolis and he's joining us by phone. And here in the studio, we have Les Linkowski, professor of practice in public affairs and philanthropy at Indiana University and Laura Albright, assistant professor of history and political science at the University of Indianapolis. You can join us at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348, or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So I left my newsroom about 35 minutes ago, and a ton of stuff has happened since then. So Sarah Whitmire is going to bring us up to date. She just left her yeah. newsroom about one minute ago.
1: Well, I feel like our heads are, though, on constant pivot here. Things keep changing so quickly. <laughs> um, but... Pence sent out a press release or a tweet not long after Trump did at 11. And then Pence said that he's proud to join Trump on the ticket and make America great again. And Pence did meet that deadline to get off the ballot by noon and then sort of created this whole ripple effect. So now Lieutenant Governor Eric Holcomb, 5th District U.S. Representative Susan Brooks and 4th District Representative Todd Rokita have all withdrawn their names, indicating they plan to run for governor brian bosma the speaker has said he's not going to seek the governor's seat now the republican party has 30 days to fill start filling these vacancies and everything else that happens as a result i guess
0: okay it's been crazy times. so um les linkowski just overview of what's been happening this week you've been a political observer for years
2: well it is unprecedented there's no question about that Um, i think uh, the really interesting uh, thing that's happened this week is that Donald Trump has begun to act presidential, mm-hmm. uh, which I by which I mean that he is making a serious decision. we We say frequently that the one of the most consequential, if not the most consequential choices a presidential candidate has to make is who is his running mate. And there are lots of possibilities here. And I think whatever one, might think of Governor Pence's record in office, and we'll probably talk about that. I think of the candidates on the short list, he was the most serious and probably the one best equipped uh, to provide advice and counsel to the president, and if the worst happens, to take over in an emergency.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Ted, do you uh, agree? What's your What's your take on this?
3: Well, I think uh, I would agree with Les in that for for a candidate who has uh, build himself and carried himself in such an unconventional manner, including announcing uh, his VP, VP pick via Twitter, uh, this was the most conventional choice he could have gone with, the safest choice, um, a guy who would fit on uh, with the other five previous Hoosiers who have served as vice presidents of the United States, were they to be successful in, in uh, winning the election in November.
0: hmm Okay. And Laura? Last thought about this?
4: <laughs> it, it is. I think it's a conventional choice. It's a safe choice. And for Trump, ultimately, I think it was probably the best choice. Mm-hmm.
2: OK. It, if I could just add to that, yeah, sure. I mean, the other side of the coin, I mean, you have all these people and I think everyone you mentioned, with the possible exception of the governor and lieutenant governor, were pretty safe for reelection. They've all taken big risks. hmm. You know they're now off. I actually think that the odds probably favored the reelection of Governor Pence too, but anyway, everybody's taking a risk now, uh, including Governor Pence. Um, does, I don't know how many in your audience remember the name William Miller. William Miller was a not bad Republican congressman who went on the ticket with Barry Goldwater in nineteen. 19- 64 suffered the big defeat of the gold um, barry goldwater did and the next piece of uh public life for bill miller was showing up in an american express commercial with the tagline do you remember me (laughs) well you know governor pence has now put himself either in prospect of being the next vice president of the united states or the next william miller
0: so so can I follow up and ask all three of you, you're talking about how he's sort of a, the conventional choice and the best choice he can make, but this has been obvi- obviously a very interesting and strange presidential campaign. You've got you know, Donald Trump, you have Hillary Clinton on the other side, neither one has particularly um, appro- high approval ratings. And now you have Mike Pence, who's he's a governor from Indiana, which is not a very powerful state. It's a red state typically. Uh, probably would have gone for Trump anyway. His approval ratings in the state are just slightly over 40%. What qualifies him for to be standing on the national stage to be the next person to be president of the United States?
4: Sure. Well, I think a couple of things. First of all, he has political experience. And Donald Trump, obviously, you know, very business savvy, has never been elected to office. Um, Pence has at both the federal level and Congress, as well as the state level as governor. Um, it, his demeanor itself, it's very relaxed. It's calm. It offers something different for people who might find Trump's boisterous drama to be a little too much. and. And even though everything you say Mm -hmm. is true, you know, his approval ratings aren't terribly high. Um, He's certainly had turmoil within the state. If you look at the other options, if you look at the Gingrich consideration or um, Jeff Sessions from Alabama or even Christie from New New Jersey, I I still think uh, Pence was the best choice given the roundup you had. Mm
3: -hmm. And and I would argue that as much as anything, this I, I think this is about next week as much as it is about November, because Donald Trump is such a transcendent figure that his number one is just going to overshadow whomever he would pick. Uh, But I think this is a message to the conservative base going into Cleveland and the GOP convention to say, hey, I do respect you. I do want you to be a part of this process. And I think there's still this fear in the back of his mind that, that something could go wrong in the convention. And I think the Pence selection given his his evangelical base, um, I think solidifies that a lot more. So I think it's really about as much about next week um, and bringing the party together for that portion of it uh, as it is some of the other things, which I agree with what Laura said, but I think that's part of the calculus as well that was important for Trump.
2: I think that's true, too. Uh, Polls indicated about 80 percent of Republicans who say they are likely to vote indicate that they're comfortable voting for Donald Trump. I think if he can – if the Pence election can increase that percentage even in a very small way, uh, it'll be a valuable uh, addition to the ticket. We see in the warm reception from the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan uh... to the choice uh... an indication of that that this is part of the bridge building uh... that the um, uh... donald trump needs to do
1: is this a case where he where Trump may have been getting sort of a nudge from the Republican Party to pick Pence, do you think, Cliff? He might
2: have been, but we have no reason to think he's very responsive to the nudges.
4: Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say the exact same thing. <laughs>
2: the, um, I think I mean he's, he I think he he and his advisors whoever they are um, probably figured out for themselves that this would be the kind of choice. That would cost them nothing, really. Uh, They wouldn't lose anything. And they had a lot of upside potential. I mean, in business, that's what you do all the time. You want to invest in things that have low risk and lots of upside potential. And uh, Governor Pence is one of those investments.
1: So we've seen Pence say things on social media that don't align with Donald Trump, in particular um, with Trade and saying and and Trump's proposal to ban Muslims from entering the US. So how do these how do these ideas come together now? Is Pence going to fall in line or what can we expect? Well, generally speaking, that's
4: kind of the role of the vice president. You're you're selected on a ticket, but the person who was elected in the primaries was the presidential candidate. Um, and it'll be interesting. Obviously, Trump is very loud. He's very domineering. So to couple with that, I always think of it as a political marriage. And so there is some level of compromise. Um, but at the end of the day, we would expect to see Trump, obviously, to come out.
2: And also, some of these differences are probably more easily bridged than, you know, it's parent at the moment, for example notwithstanding his tweet about muslim immigration governor pence also made it quite clear and it's one of the controversies he was in that he did not want syrian refugees in indiana and i believe it took a court to overrule him on that mm-hmm.
3: yeah and I, I would just add to this it's not like uh we're talking about george bush in 1980 campaigning against ronald reagan in the primaries calling his economic scheme voodoo economics and then being on the ticket, right? These are these are uh, breaches that can easily be repaired, and I agree with what um, both Les and Laura said. I mean, Pence will fall in line, and I think he's the one most uh, adept at falling in line. If you're comparing the two other supposed shortlist candidates, um, I think Gingrich and um, Christie would far be far more likely to go off script, and that's not what Donald Trump wants because he's going to be going off script, as we've seen. Uh, throughout the campaign.
0: What impact do you think it may have had on, on this uh, selection that, that Pence actually sided with Ted Cruz when he came to Indiana? Do you think that came up?
4: And- well, I don't know if you—I'm sure we all remember the endorsement, and probably a number of the listeners do, too. That was the lukewarm <laughs> of endorsements you could possibly have. And, and, in fact, I believe he actually complimented Trump in it. And he, yeah. he certainly endorsed Cruz, but it was far from hardy. And, and I think maybe strategically that was brilliant on his and his campaign part to—you're endorsing one person, but you're not entirely disregarding another.
2: Mm-hmm. We've also been seeing signs that there is some degree of uh, uh, coming together between Donald Trump. Trump and Ted Cruz Cruz was a couple of weeks ago scheduled to speak at the Republican Convention of course some of the other candidates in the primary are not going to be in the convention including Governor Kasich who's the governor of the state where the convention is going to be held
0: so do you all th- think three think that uh, time is sort of healing the wounds of, of Donald Trump's ascension to be the standard bear for the Republicans
2: um i uh, within certain people i mean parties tend to unify that's what they always happen i think the example of reagan and bush is a great one uh you could think of jerry ford uh in 1976 Um, you know there are lots of examples parties just do this or try to do this it's more difficult i was talking yesterday to some leader of the never trump movement and um He's not reconciled. I'm sure there are going to be others. One interesting um, continuing weakness on the ticket, which will be important to at least some of the Never Trump people, is a lack of international and national security experience. While both uh, Governor Pence and Donald Trump have some, it is not a strong ticket on terms of foreign policy experience and to some of the never trump people one of the things that really concerned them uh was what they perceived to be a kind of neo isolationism in trump's foreign policy positions mm-hmm.
4: Well, and I'm not sure if it's necessarily time, uh, but really at this time of any given election, you need to come together and rally for your team, for your party. Obviously, Trump won the primaries. He's been very successful. The alternative for Republicans is Clinton or maybe the third-party candidate. So I think given that, they would probably prefer Trump.
0: Okay. If uh, you want to join our conversation today, we're talking about mike pence being selected to be donald trump's uh, vice presidential candidate and also any a lot of other political things we'll probably get to in indiana this week so 812-855-0811 in bloomington 1-877-285-9348 1-877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition.
1: Unless you said that you thought, you know, ultimately Pence probably would have won re-election here in Indiana. But, I mean, the race is close. And do you think maybe if it wasn't so close, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't see this position? This? No, I
2: think uh, we forget that he actually had a much closer race four years ago than most people would have expected the nature of mike pence's political views and style is not one that would be give him a real overwhelming advantage even in a relatively conservative state like indiana so it was always going to be close it was close four years ago might have been a little closer this time but i wouldn't have you know i don't think they made a decision based on their reelection prospects mm-hmm. And I would say
4: I probably take a little bit of a different perspective. I I think it would be relatively competitive, particularly given the fact that he's a Republican in a very red state. You have a supermajority of Republicans in the House and Senate. You've had two legislative sessions with some national attention-and-getting issues. Um, And for someone who's an incumbent and has a pretty deep war chest, the fact that all of the polls were within margin of error. And I agree with Les. I don't think that was necessarily the decision maker. But I, I think it would have been competitive, and to me, it was an a risk either way. It's go big or go home, and he obviously chose to go big. Mm-hmm. Ted,
3: and, and I think in some ways, far better uh, to lose as the vice presidential candidate when you can, if you, if you, if you do lose, uh, blame it on the top of the ticket, than to be the incumbent governor and, and lose. Which I think, again, he may have won, but it shouldn't have been that close, given all the advantages that Laura just uh, outlined. And I think, you know, especially um, in some of the Blue Islands within the state, Mike Pence was deeply unpopular, and I think those people were going to show up, and, um, you know, it would have been a nail-biter for him.
2: But if if you look back, though, losing vice presidents, presidential candidates have actually not had a very good record i think walter mondale might be an exception to that who lost in 1980 and became the candidate in 84 but of course he had a significant national reputation uh going in um hubert Humphrey well even hubert humphrey was a winning ticket in 64 but lost in 68 ed muskie bob dole bob right. dole mm-hmm. so it's not i mean the, the i mean that's why i think that the the bigger risk for governor pence is becoming bill
3: miller sure but i i would also argue that, that one of the reasons i think that i, I might have articulated too is, is that he's interested in this is i think mike pence has always enjoyed campaigning more than he's enjoyed governing um and this gives him an opportunity to campaign on a, on a bigger stage um and yeah that's, that's a big risk um and i think that is less as you said the biggest shocker in this for this whole week is a lot of risk taking going on uh, among Republicans at, at different levels because of this announcement.
1: If you're Hillary Clinton right now, are you seeing this as something that's going to help your campaign, or is this going to, you know, hurt her chances of being elected?
4: Well, at least with some of the voting base, it could help. It's not that really Trump or Pence are known for um, getting the female vote or necessarily the minority vote. And those are things that um, Democrats and Republicans alike have really tried to capture in recent elections. I think in that way, it could really help. At the same time, I see the Pence Trump ticket being very complimentary. And whereas uh, if you had maybe a full east coast ticket of trump Christie. you may have been isolating some of your midwest or southern republican base or or some of the alternatives it could have been um a little bit harder so i i could see it going either way essentially
2: well well, the next drama we're going to have in about a week or so will be who uh secretary clinton's going to choose exactly and there have been a couple of trial balloons this week one was a uh retired military man uh, uh, from Massachusetts. The other was Senator Kane from Virginia. And I think their calculation is going to be, who do they want across the stage from Mike Pence? And I think, although Mike Pence may not have the reputation for debating that a Newt Gingrich would have had, he's not a bad debater. And they will need to make sure that whoever they put in that, uh, in the vice presidential slot on the Democratic side, Can hold his or her own
0: well here's what uh, hillary clinton had to say five minutes after the announcement was made Uh, her the uh, email um, press release is titled trump doubles down with the most extreme vp pick in a generation hillary for america responds to reports that mike pence will be donald trump's running mate and and then she sort of goes on uh, about um his doubled down some of his most disturbing beliefs by choosing an incredibly divisive and unpopular running mate known for supporting discriminatory politics and failed economic policies to favor millionaires and corporations over working families, said a spokes- spokesman for her campaign. So she's out quickly.
4: Well, if she said she liked him, I'd be concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so at least that is uh,
1: that is probably the best way to respond. Right she She did call attention to Pence leading the fight to defund Planned Parenthood and then also talking about rifra. How much are we going to see all of this brought back up again, but on an, on a national level Sure, i
3: I've, I've, never, I've never done ads, but I can imagine the signing statement done in private uh, that was made for uh, seemingly for Comedy Central at the time, and I can see a number of ads on that alone, rifra alone so. Um, there's no doubt in, in what Hillary Clinton's campaign uh, released. You can see that as a call to arms to the gay community, uh, to people who care about Planned Parenthood, to get them motivated to turn out.
2: Well, the big question, though, these issues are important to those of us who follow all this closely. But according to polls this morning in uh, Real Clear Politics, uh, the overwhelming bulk of the american public has no idea who mike pence is yeah -hmm. um and so you know when they talk about RIFRA or defunding planned parenthood very unlikely unless governor pence allows it to happen that those will define him he now has an opportunity to define himself for the national public
0: but i have to say that in in the last three and a half years the way he's been defined in the national media and if you go back and look at the national media indiana has gotten the earned media in the last it's been very negative uh new york times story and 2000, late 2015, uh, that referred to RIFRA was actually about the Periods for Pence campaign, which made sort of a mockery of the, the legislation this year um, that the Supreme Court of Indiana or the courts in Indiana have already said is unconstitutional. So I mean, these things are going to dog him, it seem to me, during the campaign. Am I right?
2: No, I think you're right, but the New York Times is not typical of the voters. Um, And it's the bulk of voters here who just have no idea who this guy is. And depending on how he presents himself, he may or may not be able to overcome some of that. Exactly.
4: And I think it's really to Mike Pence's advantage that maybe on the national scale, your average voter who doesn't necessarily follow all the political news may not know him. And that's great because he gets to craft his own image and construct it. Certainly these discussions will come up. But outside the state of Indiana, I don't think it's as well known as it probably is within our own borders.
3: I have family in Ohio, the Mm -hmm. neighboring state. Mm -hmm. um, And... I obviously follow this stuff really closely, and and they will they will tell you, oh no, no nobody's ever heard of him. So I mean, I, I do think that that speaks to what both Les and Laura have said that uh, for for people who follow it, yeah, um, but a lot of people haven't paid attention. And, and Mike Pence is is great, um, is a great communicator, and I do think he's comfortable overall. Um, you know, with the media. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be really, it will be interesting to see if he's able to position himself there. Um, at the same time, you can imagine a moveon.org and some of those more progressive um, sites using some of those photo ops against him in strategic ways, in strategic places that would gain traction. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, thank you, Ted Franz. We're, we're talking to uh, Ted Franz, professor of history at the University of Indianapolis, Laura Albright, assistant professor of history and political science at the University of Indianapolis, and Les Linkowski. Professor of Practice in Public Affairs and Philanthropy at Indiana University. And we're talking about Indiana politics this week. And uh, Mike Pence is uh, being named the vice presidential running mate to Donald Trump this morning. Give us a call, and uh, we'll talk to you in the second half of the show. You're listening to Noon Edition. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from The Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU, and our guests who are from the University of Indianapolis and from IU, and we're talking about politics in Indiana. If you want to join the program, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition. So, Ted Franz, Laura Albright, and Les Kowski, I wanna turn the tables a little bit, talk about the Democrats for a few minutes, because, man, it seems like so long ago that Baron Hill was running for Congress, and it's been only four days.
4: I was gonna say, a solid, not even a full week, four <laughs> days, exactly.
0: Right, so, uh, yeah, I mean, people on the, who are listening, I'm sure, are pretty well aware that, you know, Baron Hill was the candidate um, until Monday, and then he withdrew and mysteriously said, there was somebody else who was well-funded and had great great name recognition that would be the next senator from Indiana. And so he dropped out and then everybody said, oh, it's got to be Evan Bay," which, of course, it did have to be and is. So, um, you know, thoughts about Evan Bayh reentering the political arena. Laura, you want to go first?
4: Um, sure. Well, I, I think it's a great opportunity for Indiana Democrats. Based on all the polling, it looked like it was probably going to be Todd's Young, Todd Young's race to win. Um, Baron Hill wasn't being you know, capable of doing the fundraising that was necessary. And even though is coming in where he hasn't been in elected office for a while, he has the experience in the Senate before, also as governor. Mm-hmm. I, I saw his war chest, I believe it was 9.2 million. Mm-hmm. So for entering the race in July, that's a pretty good chunk of change to start out with. Mm-hmm
2: less well less. i think I, I mean evan by is also taking a big risk he obviously had a very successful career going after the senate uh and now he's going back into the maelstrom it's not unprecedented dan coates did something like that as well uh six years ago after having established himself as a washington lobbyist and a residence i believe it was in wilmington north carolina he comes back in and wins the question is whether or not the state has changed. Remember, a lot of people uh, uh, who are going to be voting in this year's election do not remember Evan Bay as a governor, and may only have bare memories of him as a senator. So he's got to reintroduce himself, and he's got to. And uh, by the same token, uh, Congressman Young is going to uh, hit him hard with the carpetbagger charge, the inherited uh uh senate seat and so on so uh it's not uh, a slam dunk for evan Bay by any means
0: mm-hmm. I, I was yeah i was going to follow up and say could this really backfire against the Democrats because, you know, Todd Young is actually a pretty popular candidate. He won the primary very easily. He's been, um, you know, he's he's been a very, pretty active in Congress and and a little more moderate than some of his colleagues who went in to, you know, at the time that he went in six years ago.
4: I think it could backfire, though I still think a Young by race is going to be more competitive and probably closer
1: than Young Hill, just mm. quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can yeah, we... I... Can we expect backlash, though, because he did enter the race so late in the way in which it was done? And-
3: uh, again, I think there, there are going to be a lot of people uh, who are strong Democrats who remember Evan Bayh's uh, resignation, uh, why he's leaving the Senate, famous, famous op-ed, and feel like he quit on them. But but I think overall, the, what are they going to do? As, as Laura was saying about the Republicans in the earlier uh, uh, segment, are, are they going to Vote for Todd Young? Probably not if they were the ones who felt that Evan Bay quit on them. So I think he's a more compelling candidate, and um, it'll be interesting to see.
0: yeah. So, so from each, each of your perspectives, I guess I'm asking you, I don't know if you if you know firsthand, but I'm just trying to figure out how something like this goes down. I mean, it seems to me it's probably like the National Democrats said, we're not going to win unless we can convince Evan Bay to get back in the race. Because Evan Bay had a chance to run for governor. He had a chance to run for Senate. And he passed them both up and didn't run in the primary.
2: I think there's been an effort for quite a bit. Of time to try to get Evan Bay to come back in, as as you've just suggested, Bob. Um, he also there's a lot. There was a certain amount of concern about this nine million dollar war chest. Uh, he could have used that on behalf of any number of candidates, whether in Indiana or any other state, and it just sat there. So I can't read Evan Bay's mind, but he obviously there were discussions that were going on over a long period of time and this may have just seen maybe because the 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 head of the ticket with Donald Trump looked particularly weak uh, but this seemed just the time to do it.
4: Well, and from the national perspective for the Democratic Party, this is huge because we know they lost the Senate in 2014, um, very much trying to get it back in this race. And it it changed the category of the race from like a fairly solid for Republican, and now it's considered to be a toss-up. Now, how that changes through November will be interesting to see, but it does make it, at least in their minds, a little bit more of a viable one.
3: And, and I would just add to that, Bob, that... Um you know, Laura and I were having a conversation pretty recently that I also think it also points to uh, the really shallow bench for the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's a real factor. Uh, the Democratic Party in Indiana has not been developing talent the way that it should. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to bring, uh, you know, I think Evan Biden certainly will hope that he'll be like Michael Jordan coming back from his retirement, but you have to bring somebody back, uh, you know, who's already been in the game for a long time.
0: And it's kind of interesting because Baron Hill was probably one of its. Bigger names, one of the Democratic Party's bigger names. And, you know, Ted, I have to mention, you, you were talking about the uh, the ad of the the signing uh, for for governor or for, for Mike Pence being tailor-made for the campaign. The ad that, that I'm sure Todd Young's people had ready to go about this is my town hall meeting, that's not going to mm-hmm. be aired now. So if you right. rem- remember that right. situation. Right. yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, so uh, John Gregg, right now, I mean, I'm uh, with Evan Bay and with Pence out. How is all this shaping up for him? What's he had to say about this? John Gregg, uh, well, he he sent out a statement right after Trump's VP announcement that said, "This campaign's always been about Indiana's future and who's best equipped to clean up the mess Mike Pence made." I look forward to hearing from my opponents if they'll continue as damaging policies or joining, or join me working to correct them.
2: Well, in a way, John Gregg is the man who's going to be forgotten as all this turmoil roils through, and I don't think that's good for John Gregg. Now, I think we should keep in mind it's only July. I mean, one old rule of thumb is that the undecideds especially, but the bulk of the voters don't even begin to start concentrating until after labor day so there's going to be this turmoil now greg is going to be overlooked to a certain degree uh but it's still early and when things settle down by the end of the summer he can make his case
4: sure it's a great opportunity for the Greg Hill ticket i mean th- this is just perfect a great time for them to sweep in and I'd, I'd like to see them do a little bit more and i'm not really sure that they've capitalized it on the way that they could but as we say i mean it is july um, they certainly have an advantage over whomever the Republicans pick for the gubernatorial race because they've been in it for a while, John Gregg, arguably, since 2012, but the, it is something they need to capitalize on as an opportunity. Well,
0: Hill and – or Greg rather, and Hale, Christina Hale, um, released a $3.2 million or billion dollar infrastructure plan this week, and I we actually had this in the paper today. It was interesting because Todd Rakita came out yesterday and really ripped into it, and that mm-hmm. from a sitting congressman didn't make sense. But as a guy who might run for governor mm-hmm. made a lot of sense yeah mm-hmm. so who do you think of these three people who have seemed to be the front runners you know which one of them do you think is the strongest anybody want to take a guess
1: so if we're looking at Brooks yeah Holcomb and Rokita
2: well I mean I I think uh, Rokita has obviously run statewide before the problem is That nobody quite knows what office it was he ran for Um, or even if they do know what the office did um, Eric Holcomb as not so much as lieutenant governor but as state party chair uh, has a lot of contacts remember at the end of the day who's going to choose the nominee it will be the uh, active members of the state party So you'd think that he ought to be favored. Susan Brooks is certainly a very able congresswoman, but really hasn't uh, run outside of uh, her district. So it'd probably be be the weakest is how I would size it up. I'd give the edge right now to Eric Holcomb.
4: And certainly as he's currently the lieutenant governor and hasn't been that for very long. I think it'd be a different conversation if Sue Ellspermann was still on the ticket. Um, but I agree, he has the edge, he has the connections. Uh, the one thing I'd add with Susan Brooks, though obviously she's only represented her congressional district, but she does have um, Indianapolis ties, I, I think she could broaden the Republican base appeal. And one of the things I saw as a strength for the Gregg campaign was selecting Christina Hale on the ticket. If you had Brooks running as governor, I think that could change the dynamic.
3: Mm-hmm. i would agree i, mean, I think uh, of them i uh, susan brooks is probably the the dark horse of the three but with the most upside um and unless you're right about who's who's going to do the selection and i think that would tend to point to, towards holcomb but if if they're really looking about uh, you know recapturing the party as as the, the party has been for so long in indiana um susan brooks also has an appeal for the future that. Um, that Holcomb and Rokita might
0: not. Okay, and in this crazy world of Indiana politics, I have to mention that before, like six months ago, um, Eric Holcomb was a candidate for Senate. He was actually (laughs) running against Todd (laughs) Todd Young uh, for U.S. Senate, and then all of a sudden, Sue Elsperman left Her job as lieutenant governor and Eric Holcomb was selected.
2: Well, I I would just add, and I think Laura makes a good point, Ted, about broadening the base. But remember, whoever is chosen as the gubernatorial candidate on the Republican side will also have to choose a new lieutenant governor candidate. And you could easily see, and I'm not (laughs) suggesting which order. You know a Holcomb Brooks or Brooks Holcomb mm-hmm. ticket, which would have some of the effect you're talking about. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, uh, if if Holcomb gets picked for the gubernatorial run, then Rokita and Brooks can go back to running for their U.S. House seats. Is that right?
2: I, I think we. You know, I'm not an expert on Indiana election law because presumably, you know, the, the somebody in those districts is going to have to uh, select a replacement candidate. Could they go back to the person who stepped down? It would be kind of awkward, but uh, I don't know the law well enough.
0: Well, maybe we have a law expert out there that will give us a call. And if you want to give us a call, it's 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or one 285 9348 outside the Bloomington area. Or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, um, we Sarah mentioned earlier that Brian Bosma said he's not interested.
1: He's not right? interested. Is that come as a
4: surprise? Yes. <laughs> I, I think anyone who knows Bosma or the Republican Party, I've I always saw him kind of uh, positioning himself, mm-hmm. and I th- I thought I'd heard that he was interested, um, but but it, maybe he feels that he's most needed in the state house right now, and that's where he's really spending his time and energy.
0: Ted.
3: I also think his negatives are higher than the people we've talked about. Um, there are a lot of of the uh, Republicans here in in the metro area in Indianapolis who really link him with the refer stuff as well for for the way that it went down and a lot of other things that they weren't necessarily happy with. So um, I think he he still wants to be governor. I just I just think the time wasn't right, and um, I, I think people probably told him that.
2: And it is hard to re- move from the state legislature to winning the governorship, as John Gregg found out four years ago.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: That surprises me a little bit about yeah. Brian Bosman, because it seems like he tries to walk this line. Like We look at this past session where he really didn't want to budge on the abortion bill. And there was sort of these back deal negotiations going on with his yeah. transportation plan. And, oh, it's
0: all strange. It's, it's all it's all very it's all very bizarre. I, I got to say. All right. So so back to back to Mike Pence. So he's going he he came out Westfield the other night and he was I mean, it was it was, you know, the idea of having a Democratic or having a vice presidential candidate who's an attack dog is sort of well known. And that's not been Mike Pence's style, but he really came out hard in that presentation.
4: He did. I actually had a chance to be there. And a lot of people are comparing it to an audition. Uh, You know, we know Trump and The Apprentice. So basically he was making the decision whether or not he was going to tell Pence, you're hired. Um, And and he did. He came out in a way that I think was a little bit different from what we're used to seeing from Pence. Obviously, Trump liked what he saw. um, And Pence must have been effective, given the news we've heard today. Mm
2: -hmm. And I think, you know, if you look at things Mike did in Congress, he can be very ideological when he wants to be. I mean I think he can do it in a way that may not be quite as hard edge as some people would do it, but he certainly will stand up for his positions.
0: Well, I don't, yeah, I don't think that anybody would suggest he's not ideological. I mean, I think that he's been very consistent in his positions. When he ran for governor, I think people knew what what Hoosiers were going to get. I mean, he's always said that what he his, his religion comes first and his family then he's a republican right so those are the three things and that's that's been widely reported this week again and that he said that before he was, when he was first running for governor and that's he stuck to that
1: is this a ticket that you think indiana voters will get behind
4: I think so. Absolutely. Um, And especially because it it seems to be really relatively balanced. Um, And we are a red state. Uh, If we look back at the primaries, the people who won in this state were Trump and Sanders. And so at least in terms of the primary, we were the state that decided it. That was when Kasich dropped out. That was when Cruz dropped out. And essentially Trump won. Um, in part because of indiana so yeah i think there would be a good amount of support here
2: and again it's you have to keep in mind it'll be the trump pence ticket against the clinton somebody ticket and um, as we know we're looking at a race with uh, two the two nom- chief nominees having very large unfavorable numbers mm-hmm.
1: it was pretty close though with hillary and trump prior to the vp announcement right well,
3: and i think again i i think pence And Trump together will be attractive to the parts of Indiana that were – for where they already had a a strong base. And I think the negatives of those combined in uh, the region, in Indianapolis, in Bloomington, and in uh, Lafayette, you know, it it could make things interesting still, to be honest.
0: Well, even people have – with Trump's um – His approval rating being at just over 40 percent, I mean, I I would not imagine that anybody that, that is a Republican or conservative in any way that would was maybe disappointed with Mike Pence would see Hillary Clinton as a better option.
4: No, exactly. When those are your two options. And we do have a Libertarian candidate. We do have a Green Party candidate. But to be fair, it's 270 electoral college votes to win. It is a two-party system. If you know, if you aren't really a fan of Trump, are you going to be so swayed over to the Clinton ticket? I mean, not if you're a conservative.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. If you want to give us a call, we'd love to hear from you. 812 811 or one 285 9348 you can join the live chat at WFIU.org slash and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We're talking about uh, politics today. We're talking about Mike Pence being the candidate for vice president, uh, Evan Bayh, the candidate for senator in Indiana, what's happening with the governor's race. We've got all sorts of things we can talk about today.
1: So prior to the primary, we did see a lot of attention paid to Indiana, and like you said, ultimately kind of helping decide this. Uh, will we see that same thing going into the general election, or do you all think it won't even... We won't see a lot of campaigning happening here uh, short answer not as much
4: certainly um, i mean we, we did provide the vice presidential candidate for the republican ticket so that helps but i mean we're a solidly red state the reason why we saw so much attention in the primaries because it was still really much very much a race which is rare for may I, I don't know that we'll get the same kind of attention come november
2: and it's also a matter of electoral votes we're still a small state relative to two of our neighbors ohio and michigan which will also be fairly competitive based on current polling.
3: Mm-hmm. And I think the one other thing, too, if, if 2008 was a surprise with Barack Obama, part of what happened is he, he visited uh, Indiana so much during the primary that then he was able to keep the offices essentially open. Hillary Clinton really didn't have much of a presence at all here in, in Indiana, I would say, in a meaningful way. So it would be starting for, uh, from scratch. So that also makes it a little less likely.
1: So what does what does Pence do now as governor of Indiana? Just was that yesterday he announced his entrepreneurship plan? I mean, is he just going to quietly (laughs) ride this out now in Indiana and focus
4: on? Well, this is a huge advantage to Eric Holcomb as his lieutenant governor, who is now interested in essentially fulfilling his seat. I see it as a at least a short tryout period to see what he's able to do to really further um, Pence's mission as governor. But it's obviously going to make it incredibly complicated because. He's essentially having two jobs at the same time, and they're both very demanding jobs.
2: Well, the good news, though, is that the legislature is not going to be here before Election Day. A lot of what a governor does is in relationship to the legislature, and we have the kind of legislature that doesn't meet year-round. And so um, from the governor's point of view, the demands of working with the legislature are going to be much diminished, but I agree that we're going to see a lot more of the lieutenant governor in various kinds of public functions.
0: Well, I have to say that I I get a lot of press releases from a lot of different places, and I I was struck by the fact that after Pence, after his name came up so strongly as a potential vice presidential candidate, it seemed as if his office ratcheted up the things that they were doing in sending out about Indiana and what his plans for Indiana
4: well, I think it's just another way that you can basically sell yourself and say, "Look, this is why I'm such a great candidate. Look at everything I'm doing in my state." And it, no, not that people nationwide are really looking at this right now, but if they were, they could point to that and say, "Hmm, is this what I want for the country as well?" Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I want to go back to the Democrats briefly because uh, Hillary Clinton. We've talked about and she's got a lot of negatives as well. Who you know who are the leading candidates for her to be chosen in a week and a half as her vice presidential candidate? And who would be the most logical, do you think? Anybody want to tackle that? Well,
2: I, I, I do think that if the tendency is to go to the stable, conventional, it helps Senator Kane from um, Virginia. It also gives her a border state presence, and again, the early state polls Suggests that uh, Donald Trump is having problems not in the deep south, but along the border states, Virginia, North Carolina, probably Kentucky and elsewhere. So having, I mean, in a sense, it's the analog to the Clinton-Gore ticket where Al Gore was a very good senator from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, senator Kane, uh is a good senator from Virginia. So I would think that that's where I'd be looking. Now, the wild card... Uh, Senator Kane would not ring any bells with the Bernie Sanders crowd and the question is whether that becomes a political imperative
4: I agree with what Les is saying and I think um, the the biggest challenge is she's trying to look at you have really unpopular presidential candidates on both tickets and so you're, you're constantly trying to see how can you appeal to your larger base and how can you reach out to people that support your party but don't really like you as a candidate and how they do that of course is is the
1: big challenge that's the million dollar question we've heard a lot of criticism about hillary just the fact that she is such an insider so was there any sort of chance she's going to try to pick somebody who's who's not
3: ted go ahead well were she to do that i mean i think uh, john mccain's experience uh, should give candidates pause for years about taking somebody who is is a real outsider with, with sarah palin i think that um everything we've seen about Hillary Clinton would suggest that she's going to choose from a list of, uh, conventional candidates. I mean, maybe only Castro, uh, who's, you know, having been mayor of, of San Antonio and, and, head of, uh, housing and urban development, that would be kind of in some ways, the most, um, um, out there candidate she could imagine or doubling down and, and having another uh, female on the ticket with Elizabeth Warren. Um, but even those are, are pretty conventional um, when you think about it.
0: OK. Elizabeth Warren, how likely?
4: Not very. Okay. <laughs> I hear that name often, but I I don't think that I, I don't think that's very likely.
3: I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't pr- pretend to, yeah. you know, as a historian, I don't pretend to be an insider on well, what's going on in the Democratic Party. Um, It's a name you continue to see circulated, and I think it's probably circulated as an appeasement, uh, an enticement, I should say, to the uh, Bernie Sanders crowd, as you were talking about just a a minute ago, Bob. mm -hmm.
2: There's also a certain amount of talk about Senator Brown of Ohio, and the big problem there is if he goes on the national ticket, he's going to have to step out of the Senate and we have uh, there's a Republican governor who gets to appoint his replacement. So with the Democratic interest in winning control of the Senate again, that's very unlikely.
4: Exactly, and that's one of the things I always thought uh, Cory Booker from New Jersey would be another name out there. But you have the exact same problem where you have a Republican governor that would select the Senate replacement when the Democrats are so desperate trying to try and win the Senate back. You have to think strategy in, in every seat, every level. Yeah, I, I agree. Those are two that probably won't happen. We're
0: playing political <laughs> chess here. Yeah, right. Uh, so, Ted, as a, and we've got about three minutes to go. If you could take about maybe 90 seconds of it and sort of review Indiana vice presidents, because, you know, you talked about there have been five. Dan Quayle, we all know about.
3: Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm sure all of all of your listeners have fond memories of Skylar Colfax, of Thomas Hendricks, <laughs> uh, of Charles Fairbanks, Thomas Marshall, who was... Woodrow Wilson's uh, vice president for eight years, and even when Woodrow Wilson was incapacitated by a stroke, didn't want to take the reins, and, and people would remember Dan Quayle. Yeah. Um, all of them do have interesting stories, uh, but that's really, uh, in many ways, a, a different program.
2: Uh-huh. And we, uh, unless it has closed recently, and I missed it, we should remember that the Museum of the American Vice President yeah. exists in Huntington,
0: Indiana. Yeah, I had no idea.
4: I didn't either. I didn't either.
0: All right, so we've got uh, now less than two minutes to go. So it's been an incredible week here in Indiana in terms of politics. So I just want to get last thoughts from each one of you on what we should be looking for here in the next two or three months. Laura?
4: Well, I I do think it's been an incredible week, and for five days I don't think we could have asked for any more action, particularly given the fact that it's the middle of July and we're nowhere close to the general election. Um, Obviously, Indiana's proven that it's a state to watch. I think the politics so far this year have been really interesting, and I hope we keep it up through November 8th.
2: All right. Les? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, in some ways the personalities are all so interesting and the tactics are, are preoccupying us. I think at some point we ought to be focusing a bit more on issues. I mean, you know, we're choosing somebody who is going to be the leader of the United States in a very difficult period. And, um, you know, this will happen after September, I hope. But um, we, sh- we shouldn't let sort of the buzz and the excitement that we're all feeling now
0: uh, uh, keep us away from remembering we have to think about the issues. We'll do that show after September. Ted, last 30 seconds.
3: Oh, I, I would agree with what uh, both Laura and Les said. I think that one other thing to think about is uh, will a Trump-Pence ticket in the age of Black Lives Matter, how will that play out? You just don't know what's going to happen. You also don't know what's going to happen on the international scene, and I think all those – factors are going to be incredibly important moving forward towards november
0: all right thank you ted france laura albright and les lankowski appreciate you being here it's been a a very quick fast-paced show really (laughs) appreciate it for producer jd gray engineer mike Pashkash, and sarah whitmeyer i'm bob zaltzberg thanks for listening